Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 26. So I think we're going at a, a rather quick pace through the Gospel of Luke. Not too quick, I hope, and not too, too slowly. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 26. And the theme for today's message is in the form of a question. Can and will Jesus help me? Luke 5, 12 to 26. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we draw near to your throne. And for those who trust in you, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, a throne of supplication, a throne of mercy, a throne of kindness, a throne of good gifts, a throne of favor. And we pray that you would please pour your spirit upon us and your blessings upon us as you pour rain from the skies, rain from the clouds, from the heavens. So we pray not for material blessings, not for earthly riches, but we pray for divine wisdom, divine favor, divine grace, divine blessings, the blessings of salvation and forgiveness and redemption, the blessing of adoption into your family, the blessing of sanctification to change us, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in holy living and obedient living, the grace of eternal life that is to be found in you alone the grace and all these blessings given to us and applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So lead us and bless us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me tell you about uh, Jack. Jack lives on the street, but he's got a very, very rich family. And they can help him, but they don't want to. But Jack has a friend who also lives on the street with him, and his friend wants to help him, but he can't. And you see, Jesus is not like that when it comes to sinners. Jesus wants to help us, he will help us, and he can help us. So let us see this in two stories. The first story, in verse 12 to, 6, uh, 12 to 15 actually, and I've called this point, Jesus will help you. Verse 12 to 15. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one but... Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear Jesus and to be healed of their infirmities. Now leprosy, as we see this man a leper, leprosy, it's not just one sickness. Uh, different kinds of skin diseases in the Bible was called leprosy. And many of them were contagious. 
Now, in its most extreme form, it's called Hansen's disease, and your, your body would literally rot. Your fingers would rot off your body, or your nose would rot, so you lose your nose, and your eyes would rot, and you become blind, and so So you can really lose limbs by this Hansen's disease. And this is probably what this man had, this extreme form of leprosy, because verse 12 says this man was full of leprosy. He was covered with leprosy. And because of the sickness, he had to be outside the town. We read in Leviticus 13, verse 46. But this man, he's so desperate, he comes right into town. It says, in one of the cities, verse 12. He comes right to the edge of the town, or perhaps even into the city. And verse 12 says, he, he falls on his face before Jesus. Matthew says he first knelt on the ground, and then he fell on his face, says verse 12. And he realizes Jesus is Lord. Because in verse 12, he calls Jesus Lord. And he begs Jesus, we read in verse verse 12, in the hope that Jesus can heal him. <coughs> verse 12 tells us what he said. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now he's not only asking for healing, he's also asking for cleansing. Now this is a, a religious term, it's a ceremonial cleansing. Because what happened if you were a leper... You were cast out of society and you were not allowed into the worship of Israel. And so now he wants cleansing so that he can come back to his family and to his friends and back into society and to the worship of Israel. And it's very plain and clear. This man understands that Jesus can heal him. But he wonders, is Jesus willing to heal me? That's why he says in verse 12, if you will you can make me clean. Are you willing, Lord? And Jesus is willing. Verse 13, Jesus says, I am willing. Actually, Jesus feels compassion for the man, according to Mark 1. And Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches the leper. Verse 13, and we know from the Old Testament, you weren't allowed to do that. You, you weren't allowed to touch someone who had leprosy because otherwise you too become unclean. Leviticus 13 or Leviticus 5 verse 3. But with Jesus, it works the other way around. Jesus doesn't become unclean when he touches the sinner, when he touches the unclean person. No, the unclean person becomes clean. We are unclean because of our sins. And our sin doesn't uh, contaminate Jesus, but Jesus, when he touches us, we become clean. I can just imagine what kind of a comfort it was to this leper when Jesus touched him. When last did someone touch this man? And suddenly Jesus touches him. And he's, he's amazed that Jesus speaks a single word and heals him. Verse 13. Now in the English it says, be clean. That's two words. But in Greek it's one word. And you can just imagine the man wanted to tell everyone, but Jesus commands him actually very strictly. In verse 14, he charges him, but Mark says he commands him sternly, stern warning, Mark 1 verse 43. He tells him, you must tell no one about this, because Jesus doesn't want people to get a wrong idea and a wrong view of the Messiah, as if Jesus is this, this genie in a lamp. You just rub the lamp and Jesus does miracles for you, instead of Jesus really coming to this world as a savior to save us from our sins. So what he tells the man to do in verse 14, go to the priests. You go to the priests and you, you show them that you're cleansed. And the reason Jesus did this, the end of verse 14, as a, for a proof to them. 
Jesus wants to prove to the priests, the religious leaders of Israel, that he keeps the law. Jesus wants to prove to the priests he's the Messiah. He can heal lepers. Like in Luke 7 verse 22, that's a, one of the marks and proofs that Jesus is the Messiah. And then obviously he has to go to the priests because the priests are the ones who have to examine him and then declare him clean, ceremonially clean, so he can come back into society again. Now this is how it would work. You can get this from Leviticus 14. How it would work is the man who was a leper, he now comes to the priests and he's now declared pure. And then he needs to sacrifice a bird, but in a clay pot over fresh water. And the reason it's in a clay pot, inside the pot is so that not one drop of the blood will, be, will spill somewhere else. It needs to fall in the pot and mix with this water. And the pure water is symbolic of, of cleansing. And then he takes a live bird, so the one bird is dead, now he takes a second bird, a live, live bird, and he dips it in the blood of this dead bird. But he mixes it with cedar wood, and with red wool, scarlet wool, and also with hyssop, a kind of anti a plant that is a an natural antiseptic. Um, and so he, he, dips, he dips this living bird into the blood with these other... Um, what, what would I call it? Almost like um, ingredients, if I could call it that. Those were ingredients, ingredients typically used in soap, according to Numbers 19. Again, so it's symbolic of cleansing. And then he would take the blood and sprinkle it on this leprous man who was now cleansed. He would sprinkle the blood seven times. And he would let the live bird go free to symbolize that the leper is now free. He's free of the sickness. He can come back into society. <coughs> and then this purified man would then wash his clothes and, and shave off his hair and he would take a bath. And then for seven days he would sleep outside his tent. And then after seven days again, shave off his hair and his beard and even his eyebrows. And then he would wash again, wash his clothes and take a bath. So the picture here is like, he's like a newborn baby. It's as if a new life is starting for him. And then on the eighth day, he would take three lambs, a bit more than six and a half liters of, of maize or fine flour, uh, not maize, a flour, uh, mixed with a little bit of oil, and then 300 milliliters of olive oil. And the priest would take this one lamb, sacrifice it, and take the blood and smear it, put it on the man's right ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe. And then he would take the oil and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times, take the rest of the oil, and also put it on the right ear, right thumb, and right big toe of this man. And then the last bit of oil he would pour out on the man's head, as if he symbolized, it's a symbol to say, that you are anointed by God. It's like God sets you aside for special favor. And then the reason why he's got blood and oil on his right ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe is to say, I will, with my ear, hear the word of God and listen. With my hand, I will do God's will, and with my feet, I will walk in God's ways. <coughs> now this man in Luke 5 he didn't keep this law. He was disobedient. Jesus told him, go to the priest and do everything you must. He didn't do so. He's disobedient to the law. He's disobedient to Jesus. And verse 15 says he goes about everywhere telling what Jesus did for him. 
Uh, Mark, actually it just says the report went around, but Mark tells us in Mark 1 verse 45, it's this leper, it's this man who was just healed who did this. And now, unfortunately, Jesus is like the leper because Jesus can't come into the towns anymore. Mark 1 verse 45. Now he has to stay outside and be in desolate places while the man can go back into town. And so everyone, according to verse 15, everyone comes from abroad, all the crowds bringing their sick. They want to hear the teaching of Jesus, uh, Mark 1, and they want their sick to be healed. So what do we learn from these verses? I think the primary lesson, the great lesson we learn, is that we are like, we are like this leper. We are outcasts. We are unclean. So if you want to become clean, you need to come into contact with the one who is clean, and that is Christ. So we ask the Lord Jesus to touch us, to heal us, not only of bodily diseases, but of the impurity of our soul that is caused by sin. <clears throat> now perhaps you listen to all of this and you think, my sin is too great. The Lord will never forgive me. But just look at this, this leper. This leper, verse 12 says, he's full of leprosy. So there's no chance that he could ever be clean and Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. You can ask any Christian you know, any true Christian you know, they will tell you they were very deep in sin and the Lord came and He fetched them and He took them out of that sin. And some Christians will even tell you, I was like Peter, I was like King David. Even after I became a Christian, I, I was in a backslidden state. I turned away from the Lord. I fell into sin and yet the Lord took me back and the Lord cleansed me. So all you need to do is be like this, this leper. He brought his crisis, he took his crisis to Jesus, he took his trouble, his problem to Jesus. And he knew Jesus is his only hope. We should do the same. So don't pray about your situation, your crisis, your trouble. Don't pray about it twice and then you forget and you stop praying. Keep on praying about it. Be like this leper, verse 12, it says he begged Jesus. You begged Jesus. He went on his face even, he begged Jesus. And so you and I, we need to beg Jesus. And we call to the Lord until He hears, until He answers. But on the other hand, that's how you should be like the leper. But don't be like the leper in the sense that you think you need to convince Jesus to help you or you doubt Jesus will help you. Because this man doubted. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. You must understand and believe that Jesus will. Jesus will. If you ask Him. He says in verse 13, I will be clean. How do I know Jesus will do this if you ask Him? Because Jesus is a compassionate God. That's part of who He is. That's part of His character. Don't we see that on the cross where Jesus has compassion on us and He takes the punishment for our sins? And then you still wonder if Jesus will cleanse you, if Jesus will help you through your crisis. And someone may ask and says, but why doesn't He do so? I've asked Him. Well, maybe the Lord doesn't answer your crisis in the way you think because you're, you're, you're like a sick child. You think you need sweets. Well, actually, you need medicine. In other words, what I'm telling you is perhaps you're praying in a wrong way. 1 John 5 verse 14 and 15 says, God will hear if you pray according to His will. And His will is written for us in the Bible. Because very often, you know, if the Lord had to give everything we ask for, that would, it wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help you would actually harm you. Or maybe the Lord's not answering your prayer because He's testing your faith to see how serious are you about this issue? Are you so serious? Will you keep on asking? Will you keep on trusting Him? And if that's the case, the Lord is testing your faith, 
you should indeed keep on asking. Don't stop. Luke 18 verse 1. Always pray and do not become discouraged. Or it might be, another option, it might be there's something that is hindering your prayers. Psalm 66, 18, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't answer my prayer. Proverbs 21, verse 13, if you close your ears when the poor cries, when a poor person cries, he needs help, and you stop your ears, then God will close his ears when you cry. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. James 1, verse 5 to 8 basically says, if you ask for, for what God promises to give, in this case wisdom, and you ask, but then you doubt, then you mustn't expect anything from the Lord. James 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4, verse 3, sometimes you ask, but you ask wrongly. You've got sinful desires, you've got wrong motives, and therefore God doesn't answer. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, maybe you're at war with your wife or your husband. You're bitter, and so the Lord will not answer. So if you do measure yourself against those verses and you find something is wrong in your life, then take it to the Lord. And trust the Lord will forgive you. Verse, verse 13, I will, I will. So you ask for forgiveness, in this case it's healing, but you ask for forgiveness, the cleansing of your soul, and the Lord will forgive you. Remember, you can't say anything to God that, that is going to shock him. Uh, God, God can clean the, he can cleanse the uncleanest person, the impurest person, the filthiest person, the most sinful person. Christ can cleanse that person. And besides, Jesus knows everything you've done. He knows what you've done. So just bring it to him and be forgiven like David in Psalm 51. Why will the Lord not forgive your sins if he's already paid the price for that sin when he died on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Number two, Jesus can help you. That's in verse 16 to 26. So, number one was Jesus will help you, and now Jesus can help you. Take it from verse 16. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of, the, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. That that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Many, many years ago, there was a Baptist pastor who became popular. 
He became a very popular preacher. After he, after he had done preaching on a Sunday, all the ladies of the church would gather around him, praising him for his wonderful sermon. But an old lady, a very wise lady, said, that man is going to fall into sin. And it happened so indeed. That is not what happened to Jesus. When Jesus became popular, verse 15, you see the news about Jesus spreading everywhere. When Jesus became popular, he didn't seek the praises of men. He didn't seek the, the awe of people. No, it says in verse 16, what did he do? He withdrew. He pulled aside. He went one side, often into quiet places, desolate places, and he spent time in prayer. He wanted fellowship with his Father, and he, and he wanted the power he needed to do miracles. Now, if Jesus wanted to, Obviously, he, he could have just done miracles from his divine nature. Jesus is God. But he chose not to do so. He chose to wait upon his Father. That's why in Luke 4, when he was tempted in the desert, he didn't change the stones into bread. But he waited upon his Father. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, it says Jesus was in the nature of God, in the image of God, perfect, uh, equal to God, but... When he became a man, he emptied himself. It's like he said, I'm, I'm humbling myself. I will not draw on my divine nature to do miracles. He waited upon the power of the Spirit, as Acts 10.38 teaches. And so that is why prayer was so important to Jesus. In verse 16, you see him praying. When Jesus is baptized in chapter 3, verse 21, he prays. He fasts for 40 days in the wilderness, verse, chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 42, he goes into quiet places. And we know from Mark that he prayed in those quiet places. Uh, Luke 6, verse 12, he prayed through a whole night. Luke 9, 18, he prayed. 9, 28 and 29, he prayed. Luke 11, verse 1, he prayed. Luke 22, verse 40 and 41, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 23, 34, Jesus prays when he's on the cross. Hebrews 5, verse 7 says, Jesus' whole life on earth was marked by prayer. And mainly for Jesus, it's not about what his father can give him. It's just about he wants to be with his father. And we need to learn to pray like that. Like that. Not, not in order to get stuff from Jesus. That's the prosperity gospel. They just want God because they want stuff from him. They want money and, and healing and so on. That's not why we come to God. We come to God first and foremost because we are in a relationship with him. He's our father and we are his children. And so if, you, if, you, if we merely pray for power, but we don't have fellowship with God, then we treat God like an idol. It's like we think, oh, the more people pray and the longer we pray, the better the chance that God will hear us. Matthew 6 verse 7. That is idolatry. God is not an idol. God is our good Father. And He knows what we need even before we ask Him. Matthew 6 verse 8. So come to God. Come to God like children come to a father. Just to be with God. Not to get stuff from Him. Just to be with Him. And then if you do so, then God will also provide what you need. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones illustrates this with the following story. He says it's like a, a very, very famous and very important and very rich businessman. And this businessman, he's got a particularly full schedule, very unusually full schedule that day. And he's so busy 
When someone knocks at the door, he sends them away and says, no. They've got a message, someone wants to see you, he says, no, I'm busy, I can't see them now. And then he hears, says Lloyd-Jones, he hears a little tap on the door. And he knows it's my child or my grandchild. And he opens the door to them. And of course you can come in to be with dad or to be with grandpa. And that is exactly how God is. Even though he's a very great God and he's all powerful and he's the great king of the universe. We can tap at his door. As Jesus teaches us to knock and it will be open to you because he's our father and we are his children. And so we see this with Jesus. How Jesus comes to the father and he asks for grace and he spends time with his father. And then the father also gives him power. When he prays in verse 16, verse 17 says at the end, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And so he gives him power to heal the sick. And this is what happens. So Jesus Verse 17, he's busy preaching the word. He's in Capernaum, according to Mark 2. That's a city on the northern shore of the Lake of Galilee. And so the Jewish leaders are there. Verse 15, it says the report about Jesus went everywhere. So now in verse 17, obviously the Pharisees and all the other Jewish spiritual leaders have heard of Jesus. So now they come from everywhere to, to check this out, to see what's going on here. And while Jesus is preaching, verse 18, um, four friends... Four men, they bring their friend on a stretcher, a kind of bed. Uh, Mark tells us it was four of them. And so they one, one on each corner, they carry their paralyzed friend because they want to bring him to Jesus. But there's so many people, even at the door, they're blocking the doorway to the house, says Mark 2. And so they can't get to Jesus, verse 19. So on the outside of the house, there's an outside staircase on the outside wall. They climb up those stairs and they get right onto the roof. Now, remember those houses were... Not roofs like our houses, they, they had flat roofs. And so they take their friend right on top of the roof. They start taking the tiles off the roof, verse 19. And then they let him down, probably with ropes. They let him down right to where Jesus was standing, verse 19. And when Jesus sees their faith, the faith of the man, the paralyzed man, and the faith of his friends... And he sees they'll do anything to get their friend to Jesus. They'll even remove the roof. So Jesus says in verse 20, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Or your, yeah, your sins are forgiven you. Just like in Luke 7 verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Now, why does Jesus forgive the man? That's not why the man came. The man wanted to be healed. And now Jesus says, I forgive you. Well, it seems that this man was ill. He was paralyzed because of some sins that he had committed. And that's not always the case, that people are sick because of some sin. Like in John 9, the man born blind, Jesus uh, says he's not born blind because of something he did wrong or his parents did wrong, but God wants to show a mighty miracle in this man's life. Okay, so it's not always when someone's sick that you can say it's because of some sin. But sometimes it is, like in John 5 verse 14, or in this case. For instance, let's say a guy uh, gets drunk and he and he climbs in his car and he, he's a drunk driver and he gets into an accident and then he becomes paralyzed. So his, his paralysis, his problem is because of his sin. And in this case, it was the same. This man was ill. Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven, implying this man had done some sin and that why, that's why he's paralyzed. So now the point is, if Jesus can forgive the sin that 
caused the sickness in the first place, that caused the man to be paralyzed, then obviously he can heal the man. So Jesus, what he does here, he gives more than they even asked for. They just wanted Jesus to heal the man, but he gives more. He's also going to forgive this man's sins and save him. I don't know about you, perhaps you have a sickness or you have some crisis and it's, and it's a direct result of some sin you've done. Well then bring it to Jesus. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you. And also, also ask forgiveness of the people against whom you sin. Repent of your sin. Uh, make restitution. Now perhaps it might be that the, the consequences of your sins are not removed. Uh, for instance, let's say you're paralyzed and it might be that Jesus is not going to heal you. But he will forgive your sins. And in some circumstances he might even remove the consequences of that sin. There might be someone here this morning and you say, I'm not sure if my problem, my crisis is because of some sin I've committed. I'm really not certain. How will I know? Well, ask yourself, is there some explicit teaching in the Bible and you're disobedient to that? And does your conscience bother you? And if so, then bring it to the Lord. And it might be that you're not aware of anything and even then ask the Lord to show you. And if he shows you, you can confess your sin, you can repent of your sin. Um, what you must not do is don't sin deliberately. Don't sin on purpose like these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees and the scribes. Because they're sinning in verse 21. They're saying when, when Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven, they think to themselves, verse 21, and Mark 2 verse 6 says they just thought it, they didn't say it. They just thought in their minds that who, who's this? Who's this who blasphemes like this in verse 20, uh, 21? Who's this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell everyone. I am God. This man has broken my law. This man has sinned against me. And yet I will forgive him. And to prove that he is God, uh, Jesus tells these Jewish leaders what they think. Because he says in verse 22, why do you question in your hearts? Jesus is showing them, I know what you think. John 2 verse 24 and 25 says, Jesus doesn't need anyone to tell him what is in the heart of man because, because he himself knows the hearts of all men. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, he knows your thoughts from afar. And verse 4, even before you say a word, before a word is on your tongue, Jesus knows it all together. God knows it. So if Jesus then knows what the Pharisees think, it's obvious he is God. And if he can heal this paralyzed man by simply speaking a word, then it means he is God. So if Jesus can do the more difficult task of forgiving our sins, that's more difficult because Jesus had to die so that we can have forgiveness. So if Jesus can do the more difficult task, obviously he can do the easier task of just saying to the man, take your bed, get up and walk. Verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. If Jesus can, can remove the cause of this man's sickness, in other words, sin, this man did some sin. If Jesus can remove the cause of the sickness, obviously, he can heal the symptoms, he can heal the sickness. Verse 23. Maybe your sin is the cause of your sickness or your depression or your financial troubles or some other crisis in your life. I don't know. But you know and the Lord knows. And then ask the Lord, Lord, please, please chop out the roots, the roots of this sin in my life. Chop out the roots of sin and then also remove the bitter fruit 
that has sprouted from these roots of sin. So I, I hope you, you catch the lesson here. I hope you see the application that Jesus is not like most psychologists. You know, most psychologists, they just work with the symptoms. But Jesus cuts right to the root. He cuts, goes right to the root of the problem and he deals with that and he can change it in a moment and he wants you to ask him. Unfortunately, the problem is many times we want to we wanna solve our own problems and we don't come to Jesus. And so for years and years and maybe even for decades we run in circles but we find no solution. And maybe someone here will say, but my problem is too complex. I've got all these problems, they are very complex. But listen, according to Luke 5, Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, he can do anything. But if you want to be like a donkey, you're so stubborn, and you will not bring your problems to Jesus, well then you need to learn the hard way. But if you are determined to even remove the roof's tiles in order to get to Jesus, to lay your problem before Him, then He will help you. He who hides his sin will never prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Proverbs 28 verse 13. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Jesus will show to you that He is the Son of Man. Verse 24. The Son of Man is a title that comes from the book of Daniel. Chapter 7 verse 13. Where the Son of Man is really a heavenly being. More than a heavenly being. He is a divine being. He is the Son of God. So Jesus will show He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. Verse 24. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has that authority and He has done so. He has come to solve the greatest problem that we have and that is to forgive our sins. And He did that by dying on a cross. And one of the ways in which Jesus might show to you that He has that authority is by doing what He did for this man. To show that he has authority to forgive sins. That he is God. He said to this man, pick up your bed and go home. And the man did so. And maybe the Lord might do the same for you. By not only forgiving your sins, but also removing the pain and the problems that are caused by your sins. And in your case, it might mean that he, that he might mend a broken marriage. Or family relations that have been broken, maybe with your brother or your sister or with your parents or with your children. Maybe the Lord will show you kindness to mend those and to sort those things out or, or remove your depression or to provide a job for you or to heal your sickness. But then the Lord wants you, once He has done that, He wants you to do verse 25 at the end, glorifying God. He wants you to praise Him like this, this paralyzed man got up and he praised Jesus. He wants you to praise God. And don't be like the crowd, verse 26. Oh yes, they're amazed. Oh yes, they glorify God. Oh yes, they're filled with awe. Oh yes, they say we've seen extraordinary things today. This is a day like no other day, but they still don't know who Jesus is. According to Mark 9 verse 8, it says, they said, look at the authority God has given to men. They still just see Jesus as a man. 
And a bit later on in Luke, Luke 7 verse 16, they say, oh, he's a prophet. But they still don't know who he really is. They still don't see him as the Messiah. They still do not know he is the Son of God. I don't know if you like that. Maybe you're amazed at Jesus. You're amazed at Jesus. But do you have a personal and living relationship with Jesus day by day? And if not, then you're just like the crowd. Oh, they're amazed at Jesus. But for three years, for three years, they're amazed at his teaching and his miracles. But in the end, they crucify him. They nail him to a cross. And if they only knew that the cross would become the place where Jesus was to show, Jesus shows that I have come to help people. I can help you and I will help you. So let us not be like, like Fritz who lives on the street. He's got a filthy rich family member. This, this family member is very rich and he's even willing to help Fritz. But Fritz remains poor because he's too proud to ask for help. May we not be like Fritz. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our God. We worship you as the one who brings us to the Father. Father, we glorify you. We praise you for the power of the Spirit to heal the sick and to forgive sins, to apply the death of Jesus to our hearts so that our sins too may be forgiven. And I pray for anyone here today, anyone listening to this message, O oh Lord, whose sins are not forgiven, that you would give them the forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. In Jesus' name.